good start. <laughs> well, I really am excited to be here. I've been here a few times, um, and it's fun to see friends like Tim and Stacy. Do I need this? I just really wanted to meet you. Uh, my name is Jeremy Mahan. Uh, your name is? Matt Larson. Matt Larson. I'm so grateful to have you guys here. And you, you guys are dismissed. And uh, have a great day. I'm moving you, Roly. Can we start over? Wow. Well, hi, Tim and Stacy. Delmar and Katrina also used to be in our college ministry in paradise. So excited to see you guys here as well. Uh, my name is Matt Larson, friend of Roly. For some, that's probably all you need to know. Um, Roly and I were blessed to share in a seven-year ministry season together doing college ministry in Paradise, which is near Chico, if you know where that is. Uh, it was one of the most fruitful and amazing seasons in my life. God did amazing things, called a lot of people into ministry, including Roly, and it's an honor for me to be here today. And I have to say, I've missed his worship leading so much. You guys are incredibly blessed. Well, my family and I, as I said, we live in paradise. My wife is named Libby. She's blessed me with four amazing kids. Uh, my son Elijah is 12, sixth grader. My daughter Bryn is 10 now, which is hard to believe. And my twins, Lucy and Liam, are eight. So yeah, we're pretty busy. Uh, my wife's a PE teacher, a school librarian, and she runs her own antique and sign painting business on the side. So she's superwoman. I'm currently the men's pastor at Paradise Alliance Church. I'm also the Paradise High School boys tennis coach, which is a lot of fun. So uh, I didn't notice the tennis courts the first time I came. I already took a stroll and checked those out. Those are amazing. All right, now that at least you have a little bit of an idea who this guy is talking to you this morning, let's pray, and then we can get into our message. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this chance to be here together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for old friends and new friends. Thank you for the sunshine that is finally breaking through. We pray we can hold on to it for a little while. Lord, I pray for this, this message this morning. I pray that ears that haven't been able to hear for a while, and eyes that haven't been able to see, and a heart that hasn't been able to feel for a while, I pray for all those areas to be touched, because we want to encounter you, and you want to encounter us. So whatever obstacles might be in the way, from hearing from you today, Holy Spirit, we ask that you'd remove those right now. We pray these, this in your name. Amen. Well, life on planet Earth has many sorrows. You know this. Back in December, when I was getting ready to bust open a new calendar and charge into the new year, I had so many hopes for 2017. The first day of 2017 was a Sunday. And I had the privilege of speaking to our main congregation that morning. And I took that responsibility seriously. I wanted to set the tone for the entire year. Afterwards, I thought the service went well. I felt great about it. I went home that afternoon to relax and catch my breath. And around 4 p.m., I got a text from a very good friend. And it said, we've been in a car accident. And I said, are you okay? And he said, yes. And I said, is Donna okay? And he said, I don't know. A few minutes later, there I am racing in our minivan down to Chico to get to the hospital. I hadn't gone more than four miles when the phone rang. She was gone. My heart broke that day. I lost a close friend. My family lost someone who was like a second grandma to us. I've spent the last three months walking with my friend who's lost his wife and he's trying to figure out 
where to go from here. Just a few weeks ago, I got the privilege of leading 82 people on a mission trip to Mexicali, Mexico, doing dental construction and children's ministry, and we had an awesome week. It was a glorious time of service together. On the way home, I probably wasn't more than 90 miles into the United States before I got a phone call from a mom that I knew whose 26-year-old son had taken his own life. 2017 has not been the cakewalk that I was hoping for. Life on this fallen planet can be really hard. Jesus told us the truth when he said, in this world, you will have troubles. He didn't say you might. He didn't say there's a great probability. He said you will. Count on it. In this world, you will have troubles. And maybe you're going through a tough season right now as you sit here. Life can be really hard. But in the face of sadness and struggles, life on planet Earth still has many joys. It doesn't always rain. And one of the most intense joys that we experience in life is the joy of falling in love. Now, my little girls are very much interested in romantic love. And as their dad, I have to confess, forgot about the mic there. As a dad, I confess that it drives me a little crazy. And I often tell them, girls, you're free to date when you're about 42 years old. And I'm only halfway joking. My girls like to watch shows on Netflix that have to deal with romantic drama. And for my youngest especially, a romantic kiss is very exciting and very intriguing to her. We just went to a kid's movie yesterday called Boss Baby. Those of you with kids, I totally recommend it. Two thumbs up. It was hilarious. Um, So I'm thinking, I was very satisfied with this movie. I'm talking to the kids as we're walking to the car. Wasn't that great? What did you guys think? Oh, it's great, it's great. Lucy goes, well, the only thing I didn't like, there wasn't a kiss. (laughs) Sometimes my girls will ask me to tell them about the first time that I met their mother and how we fell in love. And that's a story that I love to tell, and it's been requested to be heard over and over again. The story goes something like this. Girls, I will never forget the day I met your mama. It was a Tuesday in September, and at 10 a.m. on Tuesdays at my Christian college, we had a school-wide chapel service. When the service ended, I went up this flight of stairs that sort of corkscrewed, and when I got to the stairs, I stopped in my tracks. Because all the way across the room, I saw the most beautiful woman that I've ever seen. Long flowing hair, eyes that sparkled like sunshine dancing across the ocean. And this this angel was standing there talking with her friends. And when she smiled, I suddenly lost the ability to breathe. And standing right next to her was your mother. It could be a long drive home this afternoon. In all seriousness, the woman who took my breath away from across the room was named Libby Jones. And by some stroke of luck, some miracle, I was able to trick that Norwegian princess into marrying me. 
I've just told that story so many times to the girls, I added that little twist to see if they're paying attention. There's nothing better than falling in love. And when Libby and I started dating, I was pretty much dead to the world. My friends wondered, where did Matt go? I had a friend who was really frustrated with me because I was always with Libby. And I apologized, but I said, you've got to understand, I think I found the person I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. The only other time in my life where I got that swept away in a relationship was about a year before when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. Do you remember the day you accepted Christ? Do you remember the day you got saved? Or if you grew up in a Christian home, do you remember the season where God and His love and His amazing sacrifice became real to you? Oh my goodness, when I got saved, people couldn't believe the change. I was 18 years old, and it was pretty radical, and it was instantaneous. Some people scoffed. They said, oh, he's just going through an emotional, religious high. But what they didn't understand was that I had been blessed to enter into a relationship with Almighty God. You don't give that up once you have it. The creator of the universe was now my friend. And the empty hole inside of me that I had spent my entire life trying to fill with women, friends, sports, success, money, you name it, that empty black hole for the first time in my life was gone from my soul. That first year as a Christian was hands down the best year of my life. I couldn't get enough of the Bible. I would read it late into the night. I was like a starving wolf. And my curiosity knew no bounds. And the joy I was feeling as I discovered treasures and truth from the Word of God for the first time. I used to hustle into church. Hustle. There was no leisurely stroll ten minutes late. I had to get in there. I wanted to sing the songs not just to an idea, but to the one true God that I could finally see and feel. I absorbed the preacher's words, and when he would challenge us to practice what he preached, I actually tried doing what the Bible said. Nothing beats falling in love. Nothing beats all the first that you get to experience with that person. Those are precious memories for sure. But real relationships, real relationships go through seasons, don't they? No one is able to stay in that perfect lovey-dovey phase forever. Falling in love is the easy part. Staying in love, protecting love, growing your love, and achieving lasting love, those things are much more difficult. Over time, it's pretty easy to, to take the people and the God that we love for granted, isn't it? The one who could once do no wrong, now gets on your nerves. You chew too loud. Yeah, well, at least I don't snore. We can even find faults with God. You don't do what I want you to do. I am disappointed in you, God. I'm very disappointed in you. When people don't do what we want, we can get frustrated. And it's not difficult for our hearts to grow hard towards people. It happens way too easily. It's not difficult for this cold, hard, fallen world to turn our hearts into cold-hearted stone against Him. And then we lament. Oh, I miss the good old days. 
My heart is numb. I don't feel close to God anymore. I don't feel close to you. Where are you, man? Why do you feel so distant? Over the last year, I've had those days with God. I've had those weeks. And being totally honest, I've probably had those months as well. You know, it is good to do the right thing in our relationships, even when we don't feel like it. Now, our grandparents understood that. Our generation doesn't quite get that. I'm going to say it again. It's good to do the right thing in relationships, even when we don't feel like it. The word duty is not a swear word. It can be a virtue. All relationships go through seasons. Faithfulness is not dependent on our feelings. In fact, just the opposite. The hard part for a lot of us is that we've been walking with God for so long, we've gotten so accustomed to God's amazing grace that we're almost immune to the good news of the gospel. We take God and all that He graciously provides, we take all of that for granted, and we develop a bad heart towards Him. So we are one week away from Easter, and I want to preach to myself first this morning, and I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to open our eyes and get us to realize what we've been forgetting, and get us, getting us to see what we've been taking for granted, and getting us to realize that we have been missing out on a vibrant and real relationship. This thing between you and your Heavenly Father is supposed to be an epic and eternal love affair. It's supposed to be a love affair. Are those two words something that could be used to describe what's going on between you and God right now? Are you in the middle of an epic and eternal love affair, or is it turned into something else? I want us to be reminded of God's love as we prepare to go into Easter. We're going to study a passage of Scripture, and my hope is that the Holy Spirit will make it come alive, and that you'd wake up. You'd remember your first love. You'd wake up and see how intense and amazing God's love is for you and for me. Our passage today is Luke 15, starting with verse 11. Luke 15, starting with verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons, The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. 
The son said to the father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The father said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's been found. Now, this story begins with a tragedy. It's a travesty, really, the way the younger son treats his father. Basically, the son says, I wish you were dead. Another way of saying it it was, I can't sit around any longer waiting and hoping for you to die. So why don't we just cut to the chase? Give me my inheritance so I can leave you and never come back. The son is disowning the father. Now, I can't imagine my oldest son that I've given my entire life to when he's 18 years old treating me like this. I can't imagine him saying, listen, old man, I don't want you. I don't need you in my life. I just want your money. But you won't just die. So can I please have your money in advance? The father in this story says, well, if that's really what you want, here is your share of my estate. Now, if this happened to me, I don't think I would have said this. Mm -mm. Instead, I'd be calling a lawyer to get Junior removed from my will as soon as possible. But the father in this story obliges. The son cashes this giant check, loads up all his stuff, and he goes out on his own. The son has successfully communicated to his father, you're dead to me. The son is off to find freedom and to do whatever he wants. But the father is left to mourn to grieve, to worry, and to pray. Parents of prodigal sons have a prayer life that puts the rest of us to shame. So the son goes out and he lives the life he's always dreamed of. Wild parties, feasting and indulging. He's living the life. He shoves his morals completely out of the picture and he does whatever he wants, wants whenever he wants, 24-7. But within no time at all, the entire inheritance is wasted. It went right through his fingers. He's got nothing to show for it. And his fast friends aren't what they seemed. He's got nothing. And he is just beginning to hate his life. At the very same time that all this is going on, a severe famine comes upon the land. The economy tanks. And so the son takes the only job that he can, living in a foreign country, He gets to spend his days living and working with pigs. Now, I grew up, I was raised in the great state of Iowa, and I'm proud of it. Iowa provides the world with lots of pork chops and bacon. You're welcome. (laughs) But the downside to all of that goodness is that certain towns, the ones with giant hog confinements nearby, Smell like you would not believe. The smell is suffocating. One time in college, a group of uh, my friends and I went to a buddy's house for the weekend. This guy just so happened to have a hog confinement on his property. We couldn't go outside. When I got there, I parked the car and I ran into the house as fast as I could. For a few days after that trip, I couldn't get the smell of pigs out of my nose. Pigs are pretty disgusting. Remember that Jesus is telling this story to a mostly Jewish 
audience. Pigs were detestable to the Jews. And so this detail in the story would have been an extra point of emphasis for a Jewish listener. The mere idea of working with pigs would have offended their sensibilities. So now let's examine the situation this young punk now finds himself. This guy has left a solid family. He's wasted his entire inheritance living like a fool. And he's hit rock bottom. He's not getting paid beyond living with a shanty roof over his head. And he's not getting enough food. He's starving to the point where he's envious of the slop that the pigs are gorging on. My, how far this young man has fallen. I mean, losing his inheritance wasn't enough. Losing his friends and his lifestyle wasn't enough. But living like this, jealous of filthy, stinking pigs, that was his breaking point. And so one day he remembers, my father's hired men are treated with respect. And they have more than enough food to eat. Sure, I won't be the sun in the air anymore, but at least I won't starve. And so it was decided. I'll try to go home. As he walked in the direction of home, with each passing mile, I can't help but wonder if he didn't start second-guessing himself as he remembers the terrible way that he treated his father. And he hears him saying it now, and he's filled with shame. He remembers saying, forget you, old man. You're dead to me. Just give me the money. But as he stumbles on, there is a sliver of hope in his heart that says, maybe, just maybe, he'll let me work as a slave. And then he begins to practice what he's going to say to his father. He goes over his speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not worthy of being your son, but in your mercy, please let me live among your servants because I'm starving to death. In your mind's eye, can you see this broken young man, stumbling down a dirt road, having these intense conversations with himself. Meanwhile, his father, with a little less hair, and the hair that remains noticeably whiter, as is is his custom, does his usual glance down the road at the horizon. And as they often do, his thoughts turn to his son. He says another prayer, Lord, please have mercy on my lost son today. Bring him home to me. And he finishes his prayer, and with his eyes still fixed on the horizon, he takes one last deep breath, lets out a heavy sigh, and just as he goes to turn and return to his work, a silhouette appears on the horizon. He knows that shape. He knows that form. And though the shoulders are drooped and the head is down, he recognizes the familiar gait and stride of his youngest son. Now the son, as he was getting close, began to notice certain landmarks. And he began to realize that he was getting close. His nerves were up. His hands were sweating. And now he's really second-guessing himself. And to calm himself down, he recites that speech over and over and over again. And with nothing left to lose, he climbs the last ridge and he turns that familiar corner. And his father's land comes into sight. And then he stops dead in his tracks. 
Because what he sees is something that defies all logic. The father is old. His body is mostly spent. Walking for him is painful. It's been years since he's walked without pain. And it's been decades since he's run. But at the sight of his son, the father drops his walking staff. He hitches up his robes. And then this man runs with a passion and with a will that's incredibly difficult to describe. The tears are pouring out of his eyes without any effort at all. Nearly clouding his vision, but he will not be denied. And through his labored breathing, he's muttering to himself, My son, my son, my son. The son can't move. Have you ever seen an aged man sprint? Me either. It doesn't happen every day. At first the son thinks, oh no, he's racing out here to kick me off his land and to send me back to live with the terrible choices that I made. He was so sad when I left, now he must surely be angry. Oh no, I've made a gigantic mistake. Now let's reread five of the most beautiful verses in the entire Bible, starting with verse 20. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now has been found. His father saw him in that dreadful state. And he was filled with compassion. He wasn't filled with anger. He wasn't filled with judgment. He didn't yell out, I told you so. Compassion. Unconditional love. Sadness and joy all at once. The father ran with all of his might to be with the son and he just buries him in this giant bear hug. He's squeezing him so tight the son is barely able to choke out his apology, but the father's already given orders. Quick, put the best robe on him. Put a ring on his finger. Get new sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened cat, calf and kill it. Don't bring the fattened cat. That wouldn't be quite worthy of this kind of a celebration. He says we're going to celebrate like we've never celebrated before. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Isn't this story the beauty of the gospel? We deserve death. And we confess our sins to Jesus and repent. We find ourselves in the biggest bear hug we've ever experienced. Do you understand the significance of the robe and the ring and the sandals? The son is being reinstated as a son with full inheritance rights and everything. The son is given another chance and he's accepted back to his full standing in the family, even though he does not deserve it. Men in this room, you are God's sons. Do you know that? Ladies, you are God's precious Daughters, do you know that? If you have a child of your own, think about your heart and your love for your child. 
take that love, which is probably the most powerful force you've ever experienced inside yourself, take that love and multiply it times infinity. And that's how God feels about you. Right now. No one here this morning is a perfect person. If your church is anything like mine, there's probably some epic sinners in here right now. Your guest speaker included. Not one of us. Not one is good. And it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve, Moses, King David, the young son in this story, the Apostle Peter, the Apostle Paul, Matt Larson, and you yourselves have had seasons where you've said, forget you, God. We've all had times where we've treated our Heavenly Father like He was dead, and we've done whatever it is that we wanted to do. To our peril. The good news is, we can come home. Did you hear that? The good news is that we can come home to Him and to that hug. That's what makes Easter so amazing and so important. Jesus knew we would struggle. He knew we would sin. He knew we would try hard and still fail. He knew we wouldn't be able to get it all figured out and right and perfect on our own. He knew that we needed a Savior. And that's what Easter is all about. Because of Jesus and what He did on the cross and rising from the grave, we can come home. And that's the call to you this morning. Jesus is extending to you an invitation. Not into a religion, but into a beautiful and epic love affair. What are you waiting for? Let's pray. Lord, how often do I fall into thinking that your love for me is dependent on how well I do? How often, Lord, when I'm struggling, do I avoid your presence and don't come in unless I think I'm doing good? How often do I chase the things of this world with my whole heart and then wonder why I feel so distant from you? And yet here we see your heart. You told this story to your followers to show them the heart of God towards people like me. The invitation, Lord, that you've given us this morning is amazing and we don't deserve it. What I want your sons and daughters to see right now is you. And the look in your face you're not looking at them with anger, frustration. You're not looking at them with judgment. Your face right now only shows compassion, unconditional love, and a passion to be reunited. As we take this time to prepare for communion, help us to lift our arms to you so you can pick us up as our dad your love is all that we need and it's all that matters we pray this in your name